It is Thursday, July 7th here at Draft Shark Studios Remote. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Shop. With me, as always, is Jared Small. And I say remote, Jared, because I'm not in Rochester, New York this week. I am down in North Carolina in a house with 10 family members. So you might very well hear noises in the background or like feet on steps uh, just outside the door of where I'm recording, standing in my bedroom for the week. That's like the the old olden days in the DS Pow. We used to have all sorts of kids and, and animals running around. Um, yeah, glad you're getting a little vacation before things get busy here. Yeah, we had like the haunted door opening during the pod. We had the one show where my daughter fell off a stool while we were recording. <laughs> and fortunately, yeah. as far as I know, did no permanent damage. We're still, you know, waiting on the evaluations to make right. sure that things are all right. But yeah, you know, you, you make things work because football, of course, doesn't stop. Drafting hasn't stopped, even though we're kind of in between puppies on underdog right now. Drafting's still <laughs> going on. And obviously, we're still looking at ADPs and deciding what we're going to do. So we started our divisional preview series last week with the NFC West. That's available on the website. You can find it on Apple. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on the YouTube channel. This week, we're going to move on to the AFC West, which Jared got even more interesting this offseason with all of the things going on and some key players added to the division. I mean, it looks like the most fun division of football to me. And um, I mean, you could go into a draft and try to load up on AFC West guys. And I think you'd, I think you'd come up pretty well this season. Yeah. And if you see the YouTube thumb uh, for this particular episode, it's got all the quarterbacks because the quarterbacks are getting plenty of focus in that division because it's loaded. And we'll talk about each of them. But obviously, there have been guys added at other positions that we'll get to as well. Let's start with the Denver Broncos, who are the team that changed their quarterback this offseason. But they've also changed coaching staffs out is head coach Vic Fangio, uh, offensive coordinator Pat Shermer, and nearly all of the coaching staff that was there with Fangio in is Nathaniel Hackett, who's been in the NFL for 13 years. So he certainly knows how the NFL game goes at this point. Spent the past three years as the Packers OC, spent three years as Jacksonville's OC before that, spent two years as Buffalo's OC before that. I think before he got to Green Bay, there was nothing particularly exciting about Hackett. So we'll see (laughs) if there's any reason to be excited about him at this point, the 2020 Packers and the 2017 Jaguars each finished top six in scoring and yards with Hackett as the offensive coordinator. Only one other Hackett offense finished better than 18th in yards or better than 15th in points though. And that was last year's Packers. It's fair to wonder Jared looking back at his time with the Packers, how much of the offense was him and how much of it was Matt LaFleur, and obviously how much of it ultimately was Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, well, Hackett had, you know, in his in his years with the Bills and Jacks, his quarterbacks were E.J. Manuel, Kyle Orton, and Blake Bortles. So he kind of, you know, paid his dues there and then got to work with Aaron Rodgers for for the past three seasons. And, and he really morphed his offenses to fit the personnel, I think. I mean, he, his offenses in Buffalo and Jacksonville were mostly run-leaning. And then he gets to Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, and the Packers have ranked – uh, are ranked 7th, 9th, and 11th in situation neutral pass rate the last three seasons with Hack and Rodgers there. So um, that, that that's kind of what I'm what I'm thinking we're going to see in Denver this season now that he has a quarterback, you know, maybe a tier below uh, Aaron Rodgers, but you know, definitely better than what he worked with in Buffalo and Jacksonville. Yeah, this to me is a great example of why not to assume too much when we're 
you know, evaluating and projecting stuff in the NFL, because you would think a guy that's been coaching offenses for 13 years in the league would have a pretty good record of what we could, you know, kind of expect. But you just mentioned the quarterbacks out of those 13 years, he's had three where the quarterback was any good. And that quarterback was very good. So maybe Nathaniel Hackett's actual personal impact on all of that is minimal. And maybe there's nothing we really know about what he's going to mean because now in Denver, He's got another excellent quarterback. He's also got a pretty good-looking backfield, a whole new set of receivers. So, you know, we'll get into all of that. But the one thing that I'm trying to do as I look at this Denver offense is not assuming that I know too much about anything. Yeah, that's fair. And like you said, I mean, yeah, they have the good passing game pieces, but they also have, you know, one of the most talented backfields in the NFL. The defense should be good. So it's not a team that's going to be, you know, playing from behind necessarily. I do think you're going to see a lot of shootouts in the AFC West with all these good offenses. So that may help the passing volume, but, but um, last year's Broncos were 27th in total plays. They were 28th in situation neutral pass rate. So there is a lot of room for growth in terms of overall play volume and pass volume for this team. And of course, if nothing else changed, then upgrading from Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater to Russell Wilson should help all of that because your offense is going to be better when Russell Wilson is running it for projecting rushing and passing i landed short of 60 percent in pass rate i certainly yep. think this team could get to 60 percent. it might depend on how often they're trailing you know how they fare record wise but i think somewhere around league mm-hmm. middle looks like a fair place to start our expectations just in terms of play volume um pass versus run yeah i went 59 percent pass for the broncos this year which you know, again you know they were 56 percent Last year, and again, you look at the Hackett offenses to Green Bay: seventh, ninth, eleventh in, in situation neutral pass rate. So pass leaning, but they weren't, you know, near the top of the league with like the Chiefs and the Bills and the Chargers as far as pass rate. So, and again, when you have two strong running backs, I think you know it's going to be pass leaning, but not not near the top of the league in terms of pass rate. I don't think. But yeah, of course, you know, would we be shocked if they ended up there? No, because they made the blockbuster trade for Russell Wilson, including three players and a package of picks that included first and second round picks both this year. And in 2023, Russell Wilson's an excellent player, but just to give uh, some more context to the bad situation that we already know he's leaving among 110 quarterbacks with 200 pass attempts in the NFL, since Russell Wilson entered the league, he ranks 46th in pass attempts per game. He had, he averaged fewer pass attempts per game so far in his career than Cam Newton, Nick Foles, Trevor Simeon, Nick Mullins, Gardner Minshew, lots of other guys. So, you know, there's plenty of let Russ cook. Literally, he was not allowed to cook in Seattle. They would not let him throw the ball that much. And we've got to assume that that grows at least a little bit in Denver. Yeah, I believe we haven't projected to set a new career high in pass attempts per game. And if he hasn't you know, set it, he should be near near, near the top as far as you know, where he's been volume-wise. Um I think, you know, the, the pass catching core in Denver, probably not as strong at the top as he had in Seattle with Metcalf and Lockett, but I think it's deeper when you talk about, you know, so you have Jerry Judy and Court and Sutton, you have Tim Patrick as a nice number three guy, uh, KJ Hamler, we'll, we'll see what he can bring a couple, you know, promising pass catching tight ends, you know, both Gordon and Javante Williams can catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, Wilson's also going to get a nice big um, O-line upgrade going from Seattle to Denver. Um, Seattle 26th in PFF's pass blocking grades last year. The Broncos were up at ninth. Um, so it's overall, I think it's a better situation for Russ than what, what he had in Seattle, at least the past few years. 
And of course, even in a negative situation for his production in Seattle, he was a top 13 fantasy quarterback, nine of his 10 seasons there. He finished among the top five, three times. I mentioned the pass run projection. I landed on 58 and a half percent as my specific number for projecting the Broncos. His Seattle offense has reached that pass rate just three times in 10 seasons there. So, you know, even if that's where he settles, it's a boost from what he got in general there. Aaron Rodgers, the past three seasons with Nathaniel Hackett finished QB 16, QB six, QB six in points per game. We had kind of a rough Aaron Rodgers season that made it seem like he was about done. And then of course he rebounded the past two years. I think the way that Aaron Rodgers played the past two years is probably closer to what we should expect Russell Wilson's play to look like. Yeah, I agree. Um, To me, the one thing, keeping me super excited about Russ and like keeping him out of our top six quarterbacks is the rushing has sort of gone away recently. You know, he's Wilson turns 34 in November. Um, He actually set career lows last year in carries and rushing yards per game, just 13 rushing yards per game. Um, So that used to be kind of a, you know, bonus to his fantasy production. I don't think you're going to get quite as much rushing production as we did when, you know, Russ was in his twenties. Yeah. And we'll get to where he fits ADP wise with the other quarterbacks in a few minutes, but first let's go to that backfield. And Javante Williams is the exciting name there. He would have been more exciting if they didn't re-sign his backfield mate, Melvin Gordon, of course. So, Jared, before we dive into the numbers on the specific players, um, I think it's important to look at exactly how things happen. First of all, we mentioned the new coaching staff. So none of us really Mm -hmm. knows what the new coaching staff is going to do with these running backs. They did ultimately re-sign Melvin Gordon. It was not until April 27th which was a month and 11 days after the start of free agency. We read reports of Melvin Gordon meeting with other teams and other teams showing interest in him at that point. When he did sign, it was just one year, two and a half million dollars. So that's more than James Conner got from the Cardinals last year for some context, but not a whole lot more. It's that kind of level. Uh, We, you know, we're going to have to wait to see it play out. But Javante Williams did say at the beginning of June, quote, the way that we were last year, I think that we'll be the same way this year you know, referring to the way that work is split in that backfield. Yeah, it's going to be split. I think the, you know, percentage of, of touches is, is going to shift in in Javante Williams' favor. Um, yeah, and just by comparison, you mentioned that the Gordon contract, one year, two and a half million. The, the two years before that, he was playing on a two-year, $16 million deal. So he signed for much cheaper than he had been playing. Like you said, it was a month and a half in the free agency. They needed some depth. I mean, they were going to go into the season with Mike Boone, as the number two, that, that was always unlikely. Um, but I mean, you know, G- Gordon was good last year. I mean, Javante had an awesome rookie season, but Mel- Melvin Gordon beat Javante Williams in yards per carry, PFF rushing grade, football outsiders, DVOA. Um, now, I, you know, I think Javante Williams as a you know, 22, 23 year old, whatever he is, is still on the ascent and Gordon's probably heading in, in the opposite direction. So I, I, I'm pretty confident in saying Williams is going to lead the backfield this season. I think that the exact split, is, you know, what we're going to have to try to try to figure out throughout August. Yeah, I think that's the way to assume it. Javante Williams did finish 17th in total half PPR points last year. So not a long way from where he's going ADP wise right now. He was just one, he was one spot behind Melvin Gordon in that category, though, 29th in points per game. So you when you resort by points per game instead of total points, you really get the picture of how many running backs miss time and how much of a difference that makes because 17th in total points versus 29th in points per game is a pretty big jump. And I think the points per game is a better representation of what Williams actually gave us last year. Well, so remember he had, he had the Williams had the massive game against the chiefs when Melvin Gordon missed. Um, If you remove that game, Javante was just RB 36 in PPR points. Um, 
so again, you, we need him to get a bunch more work this year than he did last. Um, the, the one thing I like about Javante, he beat Melvin Gordon in both PFF receiving grade and yards per route run last year as a rookie. Um, so I, I think we're going to see him on passing downs primarily. And then again, you know, we'll see exactly how the, the rushing workload is split. Yeah, and let's wait till we get to the ADP section to talk more about those two versus each other. Pass catchers up next. And Jared, I mean, I, I've said it a couple times already, I think, but this is another area where I think it's important to not assume that you know too much. We've got big names, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton. Judy was a first-round pick. Sutton was a second-round pick. Um, Tim Patrick has been more productive than expected and already got a new contract from the team that, of course, was before the new coaching staff stepped in. KJ Hamler was an exciting college player uh, and a second round pick in his own right. So there are lots of guys around here, but we really don't know much about how they're going to work together because last year, Jerry Judy missed almost half the season. The year before, Cortland Sutton basically missed the entire season. Last season, he was coming off the ACL tear that cost him that year. The coaching staff is now gone that barely let him on the field once Jerry Judy was back healthy last season. Um, you know, we just haven't seen all these guys play together. Then you throw yeah. in the new coaching staff and the new quarterback. And it's just like, I, I don't know what things are going to look like here. Yeah. And they're all, they're all young guys. They're all, you know, exciting talents, at least theoretically. Like I, I see upside with all of them. I mean, we'll get to the ADPs because I think they're all kind of priced to that upside, but I, I think all these guys have warts too. Judy and, and Sutton, especially um, you know, Judy, Last year, and again, he had the high ankle sprain in the opener. That's a tough injury, and it was a serious high ankle sprain. You know, he missed the next next six games. Um, but after that, you know, just three point six catches and forty four yards per game over the final nine. Um, he was fifty first in PFF receiving grade among eighty nine qualifying wide receivers. He was twenty fifth in yards per out run, so he he did well there. But again, I, I don't know how much stock to put into that when he was coming off a high ankle sprain, which you know tends to tends to really derail guys' seasons uh, for these these skill position guys. And then Cortland Sutton was awesome in the seven games that Judy missed all or, or most of um, 8.6 targets, 5.7 catches, nearly 84 yards per game in the games that Judy missed. Uh, he, he was uh, PPR wide receiver 13 over that stretch. And then in the 10 games with Judy, 3.8 targets per game, 1.8 catches, 19 receiving yards per game. His scoring average in those games, he averaged 3.7 PPR points in those 10 games with Judy. It would have been 152nd among wide receivers. So that's scary to me, the fact that he was that unproductive. And, and it, I mean, it's it's not a tiny sample size. It's 10 games. I mean, it's, it's a small sample size, but it's, you know, it's not a handful of games. Um, so I don't know. It, again, both these guys are exciting, I think. Both have the potential to break out with the best quarterback they've played with in the NFL. Um, but I think there are concerns with both of them. Yeah, all of football is small sample sizes. So even when we're talking about full seasons, it's like, yeah, that was just 16 games. So let's see what happens okay. next year. But yeah, that that's concerning because you can't say uh, targets are earned and I love Cortland Sutton because <laughs> where did his targets go when Jerry Judy was back on the field? So, you know, it, we don't have enough evidence to say Cortland Sutton hasn't earned targets. We can say over the stretch he failed to do so when Jerry Judy was around. So we'll see where it goes. The tight ends to kind of close out this uh, pass catching group Greg Dulcich arrives as a day, what was he, a day three pick this year? Uh, he was a fourth rounder, right? Not a third rounder. Uh, no, he Dulcich was a third rounder. There you go, day two pick. Yep. And Albert Oakwake Boonham was a round four pick, so he was yes. a day three pick. Of course, by different coaching staff, so not a good way to measure them. But, you know, at least a good way to look at the comparative talent. And that's what they both bring. They're both 
athletic players. They each had some at least good stretches of college production. So there's plenty of upside to both of these guys. Unfortunately, they land in the same spot. I think there's a lot of potential for these two to cannibalize each other. And it seems like from very early on, as long as Greg Dulcich has a good summer. Yeah. Again, same, same kind of deal here with these tight ends as the wide receivers. Like he, you are excited about the talent and they're both, you know, catch first tight ends, which, which is what we want. You're excited about the, the quarterback upgrade, but you know, if they're fighting with each other for snaps and targets and then fighting with, you know, a deep wide receiver core, um, it, it might just be tough for them to pay off in fantasy. Um, I don't know, you know, Albert O, we haven't seen a ton of them in the NFL. You know, he, had, he tore his ACL as a rookie, only played a handful of games, and he was behind Noah Fant for most of the last season. But, you know, some of the efficiency stuff, he, he kind of shines in. He was sixth among 35 qualifying tight ends in yards per route run last season, 11th in PFF receiving grade. Um, and, you know, he had a pretty nice profile coming out of Missouri. He, he tested off the charts uh, for – Four four nine forty time at two hundred fifty eight pounds, and then Dalsich. I mean, we talk about the different coaching staffs and even a different you know GM that drafted Dalsich that you know wasn't there. George Payton was not there when they drafted Albert O. So, um, and there was already a report. I think it was Ryan O'Halloran from uh, the Denver Post already predicted in May that you know Dalsich would be ahead of Albert O. By the time Week One rolls around, so it definitely a situation that matters for fantasy. Fantasy, because I think um, you know there's at least touchdown upside for both these guys. But we're gonna have to see exactly how the playing time is gonna be divvied. Every single pass catcher in Denver has something that you can get excited about and something that makes you worry about him. So exactly. that that is the you as long as you keep that in mind as you're deciding who to draft. I think that's the way to look at it. So looking at the ADPs for all these guys, I think can, can help us sort things out a lot. We'll start with Russell Wilson at QB eight. I think he would be more attractive if those top two wideouts weren't so expensive for best ball stacking purposes right now, but he's still attractive at that QB eight level. I think. I think it's, I think it's fair. I mean, I think that's about, I think we have him. Yeah. We have him ranked quarterback eight. Um, he's not a guy I've been taking a ton of one because you mentioned that the stacking, the guys to stack with him are expensive. Um, and two, I, I don't think he has a ton of upside beyond quarterback eight again, because that rushing just isn't there anymore. I think, you know, guys like Jalen hurts, who's going, you know, a round or two earlier and then even behind Russell Wilson, like Trey Lance, I think probably has a higher ultimate ceiling. So when we're talking about, you know, right now doing these best ball tournaments, I've been taking those guys more than Russell Wilson, but I think especially once we get to lineup setting, I do think he's a pretty safe bet. And again, I think it's a, a fair price if he's going around quarterback eight. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about better in best ball. I think Russell Wilson's somebody who gets more attractive when we're setting lineups because yeah. if you don't know who to trust among his pass catchers, just say, I'll just take Russell Wilson and I'll take yeah. whoever he throws to in those games and I don't need to stack anybody from my lineup setting team. And even if you're comparing him to guys like Jalen Hurts and Trey Lance, it's going to be a lot comfier, I think, to put Russell Wilson into weekly lineups than it is either of those guys who you're, you know, they're going to bring rushing production, but they they look like lower floor players to me week to week yep. than Russell Wilson likely will be. Yeah, and just riskier over the course of the season. I mean, especially the Trey Lance, just because we haven't seen it yet. So let's jump to those pass catchers um, because they relate more directly to Russell Wilson. Cortland Sutton, this is looking at ADP on underdog, which is kind of a blend right now between the non-superflex ADP and the superflex because the superflex puppy is the most recent tournament that people are drafting. But um, looking at that under, underdog ADP, Cortland Sutton, wide receiver 17, Jerry Judy, wide receiver 21, Tim Patrick, wide receiver 53, KJ Hamler, wide receiver 75. Jared, I think, first of all, if you like 
Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy at their ADP, then you should really like Russell Wilson at his ADP because he's easier to get than those and makes for that stack. If you're buying multiple pieces or all pieces of this Denver offense at their current cost, you should love Russell Wilson at QB8 <laughs> because if multiple guys pay off at these prices, then Russell Wilson's going to definitely pay off at QB8 and could smash. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, again, I just think these wide receivers, I guess Sutton and Judy are, are just kind of priced at ceilings, especially Sutton. I mean, I, I can't I can't get myself to, to draft Cortland Sutton at wide receiver 16. I don't really know what he's done to be going, you know, five wide receiver spots ahead of Jerry Judy. We actually have Judy ranked highest among these guys at this point. So Judy at wide receiver 21, I think is fair. Patrick at wide receiver 54, I, I think is fair. Um, so th- those are the guys I'm targeting if I land Russell Wilson, um, or I guess, you know, you'd have to take Judy first. Um but yeah, Sutton, a wide receiver, sixteen again. I just, I just, he's, I don't know. People forgot about how bad he was over, you know, the, the back half of last season when Jerry Judy was out. I'm, I'm not exactly sure why he's, why he's going so high. Yeah, the only two reasons are Russell Wilson, wide receiver, and Sutton got the spring buzz while uh, Jerry Judy was busy getting arrested for something that where the charges <laughs> ended up being dropped. I think once we get into summer and certainly to preseason. It's tough to say that they'll get closer because we just mentioned the ADPs. They're already close. We kind of get in the Twitter bubble, and Twitter is like, you got to draft Cortland Sutton, and Jerry Judy sucks at football. I'm like, that's really not true. He might not be what his first-round draft capital says, but he's a pretty good player that there are things to like about. So I I agree. I'm not excited about either of these guys right now. I don't think either of them is going to smash. Could one of them reach top 12? Sure, but there are also plenty of other wide receivers in the same range. Like both of these guys, I believe, are more expensive than Terry McLaurin, for example, right now. And McLaurin's got a shorter path to wide receiver one territory than either Sutton or Judy, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I mean, they're both going ahead of McLaurin, or sorry, Sutton's going ahead of McLaurin. You know, Sutton's going ahead of DJ Moore. We'll see if that changes with the, the Baker trade, Jalen Waddle. There are definitely guys I'd, I'd take over Court and Sutton. And Tim Patrick, we didn't talk much about him um he actually beat both jerry judy and Cortland sutton in pff receiving grade last year um patrick beat sutton in yards per out run judy judy led patrick in yards per out run but i mean he's he's a good player and i don't i don't think he'll you know beat out judy or sutton for targets but i do think the gap might be at least closer than these adp suggest where you have you know patrick going you know 40 wide receiver spots uh later than Cortland sutton To me, Tim Patrick is easily the most attractive Denver wide receiver in this best ball portion of the year. And I think that he's the kind of guy who will still be interesting once we move from best ball to lineup setting. Not that week one, week two, you're going to feel great about putting Tim Patrick in a lineup and he might very well be on your bench. But, you know, again, wide receiver 50s, we're not talking about guys that you're starting week one. What he brings for that purpose is handcuff upside if either Sutton or Judy goes down. And then maybe we find out that this is an offense where we get three fantasy worthy wide receivers. So I'm not expecting Tim Patrick to stand alone, be a good weekly starter, but he has that upside and is at least a nice um, bench option, even for lineup setting leagues. Yeah. And then we'll see about KJ Hamler who is coming off a torn ACL and a serious hip injury. Um, we'll, We'll see if he's ready for week one, even, if he is and when he's ready, I do think he's the, the fourth wide receiver here. You know, he can provide some big play pop with his speed, but you know, so maybe he's like a very last round pick in best ball. I don't see Hamler without an injury to at least one of these other Broncos receivers being, you know, someone who's really a factor in, you know, lineup setting fantasy leagues. 
We're talking about a young speed receiver coming off serious lower body injuries and fourth wide out in his own offense. He is an absolute yeah. zero share player for me. Even if I have Russell Wilson, I'm not interested in KJ Hamler at any point. I would rather, if I'm looking in the late rounds, I would rather take Greg Dulcich. And so the ADPs for him and Albert O, tight end 15 for Albert O, tight end 37 for Greg Dulcich. And, you know, just like a receiver, I'll take the discount because I don't know yeah. exactly what things are going to look like between them and see what happens with Greg Dulcich. Yeah. I think Dulcich down there is, is an awesome pick because, you know, if, and it sounds like there's a chance at least, you know, he is their lead tight end, even to start the season. If that's the case, he's going to return a huge profit for you. I don't mind Albert. O, you know, tight end, tight end 15, but he's going like round 13 of these underdog drafts. He, he's just like one of those many, later on tight ends, I think that do have some upside that you can, you know, take, take three of them. If you're, you know, waiting on the position there, are, there are guys I prefer down there, but I think you do want to mix in some Albert Oaks. I do think he has upside if, you know, we, we've seen forever that rookie tight ends tend to struggle. Um, so if that's the case with Dalsich, then, you know, Albert O could definitely be a good pick in the 13th round. Yeah. I don't want to be totally out on him, but he doesn't stand out for me among other guys that are down in that range. Yeah. He's going ahead of, you know, David and Joku way ahead of like Tyler Higby. So you know, somebody I'll mix in. And then running backs, we kind of jumped over to get to the pass catchers. But Javante Williams is at RB13. Melvin Gordon at RB34. I mean, you don't have to even like or dislike either of them to look at those two and say that Melvin Gordon is the clear value at ADP between yeah. them. Yeah, the clear value. I do think though Javante is a guy who could be like a, a league winner if he captures, you know, 70% of this backfield work. I think he could finish, you know, as a top six or seven running back. So I, I've been taking both these guys. Again, you know, they both finished top 20 in uh, PPR points last season. Maybe the volume scaled back a bit this year if the if they Broncos pass a bit more, but I think there's going to be more, you know, touchdown upside. The offense in general is going to be better. So they could both finish top 20 again. Um, so I, I, yeah, I've been drafting both those guys. I, I've actually, I actually have a bunch of Javante Williams. I just like him. I mean, he's going in the third round. Um, I, I just think there, there's a lot of upside there for him. And again, the, the floor isn't that low. Like, you know, unless you really expect Gordon to remain the lead back here, I don't think you know, Javante's going to hurt you as a third round pick. I mean, I definitely think there's potential for him to hurt you. We mentioned the level of points per game that he scored last year, and he would have to take a lot away from Melvin Gordon for the workload split to not at least be similar. I agree that there's upside. I don't want to be totally out because if Melvin Gordon goes down in week one, like you said, Javante Williams could be yeah. a league winner. That said, if Melvin Gordon's healthy all season, it's probably frustrating. I think Williams is more interesting in best ball than lineup setting for that reason, because you're not getting him late enough where you're benching him, waiting for something to happen to Melvin Gordon. Mm -hmm. And I think if Gordon's healthy, it's going to be frustrating. The bigger problem for me than Williams himself, though, or his situation is that if you are targeting his upside, there's lots more upside around him at that position at current ADP right behind him on underdog right now. Alvin Kamara, James Conner, Travis Etienne, Ezekiel Elliott, Cam Akers, Brees Hall, David Montgomery. I think all of those guys could also deliver just as much, if not more upside without somebody on their team needing to get hurt to reach it. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. Javante, it's just like a little bit of the unknown, I guess, you know, second year player coming off a really strong rookie year. Like, you know, what if he's, you know, what if he's the Jonathan Taylor of this season? And that's that's not the best comparison because you know there was no Melvin Gordon behind Jonathan Taylor last year. But you know, what what if he's just ready to you know make that leap as a player? And if that's the case, I think you know Denver will kind of be forced to to you know, make him the clear lead guy. And then the what if on the other side is what if he's just always a share the backfield guy? Because he was a, yeah. a backfield split guy at North Carolina too with Michael Carter. And you know, you might be like, Yeah, but Michael Carter's good. Michael Carter was a fourth round NFL pick. So uh Javante Williams was a 14 carry a guy 
a 14 carry a game guy in his final season at UNC with Michael Carter's as mate. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you that I like Javante better now in these big basketball tournaments where you're shooting mm-hmm. for the ultimate ceiling than like, you know, your standard 12 team home league. I think, you know, he's, he's not as strong of a pick and even in round three there. On to the Kansas City Chiefs, Jared. What has changed, if anything, on the coaching front? What should we expect from run-pass split? Yeah, no changes on the coaching front. It's uh, head coach Andy Reid, OC Eric Bieniemy back again for the Chiefs. You look at the Chiefs' pass rates the last four seasons, 61.1%, 61 61.6%, 61.9%, 62.0%. So it's an incredible consistency there as far as pass rate goes. And that, yeah, that, of course, spans the Patrick Mahomes era. Um Chiefs have been second, first, first, and second in situation neutral pass rate over the past four seasons. So it's been a pass, you know, one of the past heaviest offenses in the NFL. I actually ticked them down a tad to like 60 and a half percent this season, just, just losing Tyreek Hill. Um, I think, you know, that might take them down, but even 60 and a half percent is still, you know, one of the higher pass rates in the NFL. I think they're pretty strong bet to, you know, be one of the, the five pass heaviest offenses. Yeah, you could quibble over small differences there. But, uh, you know, in an exercise that's as frustrating as projecting NFL numbers, you love a team that just says, this is what we're going to do. This is what you can expect from us. So uh, I'm right in that same range. And, you know, whether you're at 62 or 60 and a half, I don't think it matters all that much because the bigger differences are going to come in what we get like TD rate wise and yards per attempt. So let's move on to Patrick Mahomes, who, of course, drives all of it at quarterback. First, sixth, third, fourth in fantasy points per game through his four starting seasons. But you already mentioned that the big loss this offseason is Tyreek Hill getting traded to Miami. Jared, what percentage of Patrick Mahomes' production over the past four years went to Tyreek Hill? So it was 26% last year. It was 32% the year before that. Uh, 19% in 2019. I believe Hill missed a few games that year. And then 27. Yeah. And then 27 and a half percent in 2018 so you know it's been it's been a quarter to a third of Mahomes's passing fantasy points I also looked at um you know how efficient Mahomes has been throwing to Tyree Kill versus everyone else so Mahomes has averaged 9.3 yards per pass attempt with an 8.3 percent touchdown rate throwing to Tyree Kill over the last four seasons 7.7 yards per attempt and a six percent touchdown rate throwing to everyone else so those are you know 7.7 yards per attempt six percent touchdown rate still nice numbers but they're not like elite numbers um, now we'll talk about, you know, some of the um, reinforcements the Chiefs added at wide receiver. So I think Mahomes still has a nice passing or pass catching quarter to work with. But, you know, no, no one's no one's replacing what, what Tyreek Hill did for this Chiefs offense. Yeah, you don't want to say Patrick Mahomes is done because Tyreek Hill's gone. But you also don't want to underrate this loss because that's a really good player. You know, like one of the biggest offensive weapons in the league. You don't just lose yeah. that, shrug it off, sign Juju Smith-Schuster and move on as you were before. And by the way. All these stats uh, can be found, pretty much all of the things we mentioned on the show can be found in our in-depth player profiles on the updated rankings pages on uh, DraftSharks.com, by the way. You head to the rankings page. You'll see the cool stuff that our tech folks do. Uh, I expanded the, the Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert rankings files there just to kind of give people a preview of what it looks like. But cool stuff. In case you missed some of the numbers and you're like, wait a second, what did he just say about the percentage? You know, go read Patrick Mahomes' profile there and you'll see just what Tyreek Hill meant to him production-wise. So, you know, like I said, we don't want to kill Patrick Mahomes, but losing Tyreek Hill hurts. Looking at Mahomes' numbers overall, there have been year-to-year fluctuations in passing yards per game, even with Tyreek Hill around. He led the league in that category, 316 yards per game in 2020. Uh 
he was even higher than that in his first starting season. But in between or sandwiching those seasons, we had two years at 287.9, 284.6. So there have been some pretty wide swings for Patrick Mahomes in terms of his passing yards, even with Tyreek Hill around. His average depth of target has trended down since that debut season. And it was probably at least some of a correction from a number that started out high when the league didn't know what was coming in, you know, this quarterback with Tyreek Hill. So I think there's some correction. I think probably last year will prove to be lower than what we can generally expect from Mahomes, though it's tough to expect his ADOT to jump after he loses Tyreek Hill. So there's some room for the yardage to stay down a little bit. And, you know, it sounds nitpicky, but I think among those top quarterbacks, we are picking nits because we're talking about guys who have all demonstrated good fantasy production and, you know, who's going to be a little bit ahead of another one and who has more week-to-week upside. Yeah, I mean, Mahomes still, you know, arguably the most talented quarterback in the NFL. Um, again, still going to be playing on one of the pass heaviest offenses. There's enough weapons here. The offensive line is awesome. It was, you know, a top 5-0 line last year, and they return all five starters. So that's a mark in his favor. I think Mahomes is safe. I think he's a safe bet to give you, you know, upper end, upper half quarterback one production. I don't think his odds are very good of leading the position in fantasy points. So that's kind of why I haven't been drafting him, you know, in the range where some of these other guys are going up, some of the other top five quarterbacks. He's sinking a little bit versus other quarterbacks though. Uh, Third in quarterback ADP right now, depending on where you look, that's where he is on FFPC uh, and also in one set of the underdog ADP. So I wonder whether that's going to continue downward as we get into lineup setting. And as we get more of like the, you know, FFPC, BC main event type drafts in there where people tend to want to bet on the guy who's going to be this year's thing, as opposed to chasing last year's thing. If, Mm -hmm. if Patrick Mahomes slides further, I think he gets more interesting. I think the slight dip in ADP right now, like there's a decent size gap between him and Josh Allen, Josh Allen's the clear one. And then it's basically Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes tied at two. And the next few guys are not far behind those. So it's possible you get Patrick Mahomes QB five, in a draft here and there. And I think if that's the case, he gets more attractive. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's where we have ranked. That's where I would take him. Like I'm, I'm taking Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray and, and Justin Herbert out of Patrick Holmes. I just think they, they honestly, they're probably not quite as safe, um, but I do think they have, those guys have better chances to lead the position and, you know, be a real, real difference maker at quarterback. It is easier now to stack Travis Kelsey with Patrick Holmes than it was not so long ago. So maybe that helps Holmes a little bit for best ball purposes, but let's move on now to the running backs where Clyde Edwards, Lair has let us all down since landing at the end of round one with the Kansas city chiefs. Obviously that got us all immediately excited, too excited for any of us who drafted him ahead of Jonathan Taylor <laughs> in uh, dynasty, but we'll move on from that and realize that even though he has stunk, you know, relative to expectations, he's finished RB 25 RB 28 in PPR points per game. So it's not like he's been, a total disaster, a total void of value. And that's especially worth remembering because now his ADP is right at that (laughs) same level. So I don't even feel like you have to argue that Clyde Edwards Elair could still be good. It's just that everybody has brought their expectation level down now to what he's done so far. And obviously there's some upside beyond that. Yeah, Edwards Alaire is probably the single guy I've struggled most with over the past few months, just how to value and whether to draft him. I mean, he, you know, he was a, a first round pick. He, he looked like a nice prospect coming out of college. And you look you look back like he should never have been going ahead of Clyde Edwards or ahead of Jonathan Taylor in that real NFL draft in Dynasty rookie drafts. Like that that was just bad 
process. But I mean, again, he's still a first round pick. He's still the, I think, most likely lead back on this Chiefs offense, which has, you know, produced strong fantasy numbers at running back throughout Andy Reid's time there and, you know, throughout Patrick Mahomes' time there the past few years. Um, but yeah, I mean, Evers Lair just hasn't done anything special, anything to like lock himself into that lead, lead role. He's really struggled with injuries. He missed three games as a rookie, missed five games last year. All his, all his volume stuff and his efficiency stuff was all down from his 2020 rookie season to 2021. Now he, you know, he talked about in that podcast back in May that he missed a bunch of time last off season after undergoing gallbladder surgery, got down to 160 pounds, which is, you know, like 40 pounds lower than, than where he plays at. So I do think that has to be weighed in when you look at his 2021 season. I'm not, it's, I don't think it's an excuse for everything, but um, you know, th- this, this off season is his first, full healthy offseason with the Chiefs because, you know, you go back to his rookie year, he joins the team midway through the offseason. Then last year, it sounds like he missed most of it after undergoing that surgery. So definitely not giving up on CEH. Um, if he was going, you know, inside the top 20 RBs, it'd be easier to, to, you know, maybe pass on him. But I think he's going in a range where he's definitely worth taking some shots on. Um, but it's it's probably the backfield I'm most interested in seeing, you know, what we hear and see um, in August. We certainly don't want to – um, blame all of 2021 on him having off-season gallbladder surgery, but it's it's absolutely worth talking about because you know it's easy to look at a guy and say, oh, he tore his ACL last year. This is how long it has tended to take guys to get back to regular production following an ACL tear. There's absolutely no way for us to gauge this. There's no bank of gallbladder surgery <laughs> in the off-season, and this is how it affected a guy going forward. And this is a very easy type of situation to overlook in terms of impact because, you know, it was totally in the off season, but it basically sapped his training time. He was apparently still even in the recovery phase through summer last year. And, you know, you might say, yeah, but he was fine by week one. Yeah. Well, guess what? We, we, that, why do we post all these pictures of these guys bodies in the off seasons? Because to play football is a year round training thing. Like you have to be, in top shape because everybody you're playing against is also a supreme athlete. So yeah, if you lose months of preparation time and you're a young player and you need to improve, I mean, that could be huge. So I have been drafting Clyde Edwards Elair a lot. And it's not because I'm like Clyde Edwards Elair is good. Wait, you guys are going to finally see it. It's they added Ronald Jones who has sucked worse than CEH so far. (laughs) And they re-signed Jarek McKinnon. So We've seen the Chiefs add running backs as late as into the season in recent years. So maybe at some point they throw somebody else in and it looks bad for Clyde Edwards-Elair. But right now it looks amazing for Clyde Edwards-Elair. There's nobody in that backfield that is exciting. There's nobody that's commanding touches. He's just in a good spot to at the very least be fine versus his ADP. And if he stays healthy and if he clearly leads that backfield in touches, I'm not saying workhorse, but if he gets, you know, plenty more carries than Ronald Jones and also all of the receiving work because Ronald Jones has stunk in that area. I mean, he absolutely could smash even without being yep. a good player. Yeah, to- totally, totally true. Um, you know, to me, McKinnon is not a concern for me. I think, I think he's there as insurance. I mean, the chiefs waited what three months into free agency before re-signing him. He had a nice, playoff run for the chiefs, but McKinnon had 12 carries and 20 targets during the regular season last year. He also, you know, turned 30 back in May. So he's not a major concern. Ronald Jones is a guy, you know, 
Ronald Jones had a lot of consistency issues in Tampa Bay. He, he, you're right. He sucks as a pass catcher. I do think there's a chance that he kind of proves to be the Chiefs' best ball carrier, though. You know, he he actually beat Clyde Edwards-Alaire in PFF rushing grade each of the last two seasons. Um, so you know, he he's the bigger concern for me. But again, I do think you know, it, if one of these guys is going to lead the Chiefs in carries and targets, it's it's it's, it's going to be Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I don't think Ronald Jones has that upside. I don't think Jarek McKinnon has that upside. So you know, Ch is definitely the Chiefs' running back with the highest fantasy ceiling. And let's say that Ronald Jones is the better runner than Clyde Edwards Elaire this year. How much does that get you on the field for the team that's first, second, third in neutral sure. pass rate? They want the guy that can do all of it, even if the rushing is not as good as the other guys rushing. Sure, Ronald Jones is going to factor in most likely, unless he's just even worse than he was <laughs> in Tampa. But you know, they signed him for one and a half million dollars. I don't think that we're looking at what James Conner became for the Cardinals last year, because James Conner was previously a good player. So, you know, I think it's, it's backfield filler here. And I think if CEH doesn't at least outperform his ADP a little bit, it'll be on him more than it'll be on yes. anybody else that's in with him in the backfield. And that, that's the big question in the CEH is, is he good enough to take advantage of the opportunity? Cause I agree. The opportunity is awesome. On to the pass catchers, which we already mentioned Tyreek Hill being gone. So they went with, uh, quantity over quality in terms of replacing him this year. We'll see how the quality turns out, but they definitely chased quantity by signing Juju Smith-Schuster. I think that was even before the Tyreek Hill trade. Uh, MVS was signed shortly thereafter, I think, right around the same time. Sky Moore arrived as a second-round pick. Of course, Travis Kelsey's still around. So the receivers first, Jared. What do you got on this new trio? Let's start with Juju because he is like the strangest evaluation in football to me because the guy had literally one of the best first two NFL seasons we've ever seen from from a wide receiver. He finished uh, 12th among wide receivers in PPR points per game as a rookie. He was wide receiver eight in his second season. He scored the eighth most PPR points through two seasons by a wide receiver in NFL history. Um, And then the last three seasons, he's been largely disappointing. He was wide receiver 64 in PPR points per game in 2019. He was wide receiver 24. He bounced back a bit in, in 2020. And then, you know, last year he he missed the majority of the season with injuries. Wasn't very productive when he was on the field. Um, so it's just, you know, what which juju are we getting in? And really, I think, how much do you blame the situation in Pittsburgh? I mean, the quarterback play was not good for Juju the past few seasons in Pittsburgh. But he also, you know, so in 2019 – Juju finished behind Deontay Johnson and James Washington, his teammates in yards per out run. 2020, he finished behind Deontay Johnson, James Washington, and Chase Claypool in yards per out run. So even in the contact of, context of his offense, you know, Juju was not good in Pittsburgh in 2019 or 2020. He's still just 26 years old, though. So it's like, you know, the guy, the guy should not be washed up. I would be more interested in favoring his early stuff over his more recent stuff if he weren't being outperformed by Deontay Johnson, James Washington, Chase Claypool, and Pittsburgh. So it's not like it was just this black hole of production. It was other guys outproducing him. Now, what's been different between his terrific stretches and his just like mass stretches? Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown left. Juju Smith-Schuster has not been a special player since then. So... Every time we, you know, I I know that the lists of historical stats we look at, we're like, look at what the rest of these guys did versus what Juju did. He can't be a crappy player, but pretty much anytime you look at one of those lists, there are a guy or two on there that are exceptions. (laughs) And I think he's just an exception when we look at those first two seasons at this point. And the exception is he was sharing the field with Antonio Brown and Antonio Brown 
might well have been one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. So, I mean, that's going to take attention away. And ever since then, he's just been a, a blah player. So that's what I think of Juju going forward is he's a blah player. Now he goes to Kansas City where they acquired Sammy Watkins, who had been a downfield guy and turned him into a short range guy. So, you know, say what you want about Sammy Watkins. If that was the Chiefs vision for him, I don't see how the Chiefs bring in Juju off of being a short range guy in Pittsburgh and add explosiveness to that. So I, I'm just when you throw in his um, just yeah. below wide receiver 24 ADP versus the costs of the other two new guys that arrived in Kansas City with him, I'm just, I'm just not interested in Juju. Yeah, price is a thing with Juju. Like I, at, at some level, it's worth taking a chance that he can rediscover that form of his first two seasons. I'm, t- to me, I'm, I'm with you. The level he's going at in drafts right now, it's just it's making too big of a bet on those first two years and not factoring in how, how bad he's been in the last three. Yeah. So the other two guys, Sky Moore, MVS, Sky Moore, we both really liked as a prospect. And then, you know, anybody who lands in the Kansas City offense still is going to make people more excited than if they land somewhere else. I think it's important to remember that Sky Moore lasted well into round two, though, went off the board after Wandale Robinson. So I remain uh, I remain enthusiastic long term about him. I'm not super interested in him rookie year because I think he's priced at a fair level and maybe too high versus what we should expect from a guy coming out of what conferences it even the Mac that he played in at this point in college. Um, So can he outperform his ADP, which is low wide receiver four level? Sure. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm not betting big on him at this point, even at that level. Yeah. 12 wide receivers were drafted before Sky Moore this spring. I I, I think he's, better than that and again the landing spot is good there's opportunity for for playing time and targets in a pass first offense which Patrick Mahomes so the the upside is there like you know Moore's Moore's ADP sets at least a handful of spots higher than where we have him ranked baseline projection I do think he has upside to beat that so like in these tournaments he's a guy I'm trying to get some pieces of um, but I, I don't think he's like a great value or anything like that yeah, he was. You mentioned he was the twelfth wide receiver off the board in the NFL draft. He's currently the third uh, rookie wide receiver in in yeah. um, redraft ADP. So that's just that's too big a gap to make sense. Could he be that? He's the kind of player that I think it, there should be some people who have him at that level, rather than us all drafting him ADP wise, putting him at that level. That's where I think the disconnect is. And then MVS is kind of lost in between them because you know Juju's way ahead of both of them in ADP sky Moore is the exciting rookie MVS is the exciting week to week guy in green Bay, but we've all just come to expect him to be all or nothing week to week. Yeah. So my question as he moves to uh, Kansas city is, does he remain the player who didn't get great target share in green Bay and spends most of his time operating downfield or is Kansas city interested because they see him as more. And to me, it looks like they think that he's more of a move around the field operate at varying levels kind of guy who has generated some buzz what working with Patrick Mahomes already in practices. Yeah. To me, the best argument for MVS being the chief wide receiver to target is the contract that he got, you know, three years, 30 million bucks, but 15 million guaranteed. So I'm with you. That does to me say the chiefs probably think he can be more than what he was in green Bay. But I, I'm just I'm not convinced he can be. I mean, it, it's been four years now, and you know he, you know, MBS never topped a 14% target share with the Packers. Never topped five yard uh, targets per game. Never finished better than PPR wide receiver 54. I um, mean, he, he's competing with Devontae Adams for targets there. I, I get it, 
Um, but it's not like there's, you know, you know, he's still competing with Travis Kelsey in Kansas City and, you know, Juju and Sky Moore. So it's not like he has a super, you know, clear path to a big workload. I So, you know, my, my bet is he's going to remain the same type of player he was with the Packers where, you know, he's, he's getting just a handful of targets per game. Most of those coming downfield, that, that's what he was with the Packers is, you know, average depth of targets uh, 18.2 yards. Exactly. The past uh, couple seasons, 16.8 yards the year before that. So he is that deep guy. I, I think that's, you know, what he's most likely to be in Kansas city. It makes him a good basketball player for sure. You know, cause he's going to give you those, you know, three, four five, you know, 20 plus point games, but I'm not convinced he's going to do enough to be someone that we feel good about starting and, you know, lineup setting fantasy leagues. Yeah. Not somebody I'm going after my way to chase in any format. And we'll get to their specific ADPs in a minute. Travis Kelsey last in the pass catcher group. I mean, you could point to some signals of decline as a player, which you would expect on a guy for a guy on the wrong side of 30, but he could also reach 30% target share this year. And I don't think it would surprise anybody. So you balance all that out. I think, you know, he's a player, we know how good he is and he probably belongs about where he's going draft wise. I'm actually surprised he's not going a bit higher in drafts. Um, I mean, he, he's super safe. He's been a top two fancy tight end in six straight seasons now. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, you know, there, there's a chance he sets a career high in targets per game this year. I think the only reason he's not going a little bit higher is because he finished behind Mark Andrews last year. Um, you know, people just uh, just make some kind of adjustment, even without realizing it for that. He still is at the one two turn. So it's not like people are undervaluing him. And Mark yep. Andrews is behind Travis Kelsey. But I think it's more so fewer people feeling like, Travis Kelsey gives them an advantage at the position than was the case last year. We'll see whether that's true. I think ultimately it's a, a fair level for him. Yeah. I mean, tra- uh, Travis Kelsey lost Tyree kill as target competition. Um, you know, Mark, I mean, I, I got, I guess Mark Andrews lost his team's number one wide receiver too, but um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm still betting on, on Kelsey being a pretty clear leader in fantasy points per game this season. I, I love being able to get him, you know, at the tail end of the first round. Yeah, and earlier in draft season, I was not so much on Travis Kelsey, but looking at the wide receivers that are going around him and the running backs, I think he makes more sense in that range than I thought. Because uh, for me, it was thinking that I could just wait and get tight ends, and you you can. We'll we'll talk more about tight ends. There, you can basically approach tight end however you want, and there are guys that'll support how you want to do it. But considering the variability of the wide receivers that are now around him at the end of round one, as well as the running backs there. I think it's very easy to make the argument that Travis Kelsey is the floor play there, and he still has the upside to smash the rest of the position in PPR. Yeah, just I think he just gives you a massive uh, positional edge, both you know season long and weekly. ADP review: We talked about where Patrick Mahomes is. We really talked about where Ceh is as well. But versus Ceh, uh, Ronald Jones is at RB forty two. Jarek McKinnon at RB fifty eight. Jared, you mentioned it. I'm not at all interested in Jarek McKinnon. I think that he is a good case of recency bias where people look at the playoffs and they're like, look what Kansas City did when CEH got hurt and the games were most important. They went to Jarek McKinnon and he delivered. Now they re-signed him. That would be the same argument that got you Damian Williams in round four just a few years ago. I mean, (laughs) if they thought that much of Jarek McKinnon, they would have found ways to get him on the field last year instead of peppering Daryl Williams with touches who they then let walk for minimal money to Arizona. So clearly it's not that Daryl Williams was just a stud player. Yeah. I just don't see much upside of McKinnon. I think like best case, he's the pass catching back if Clyde Edwards, a disappoints again. Um, but I, I don't think he had, McKinnon has upside to, you know, be the team leader or even anywhere close to it in carries. I'm trying to talk myself into getting a little bit more Ronald Jones, even just in case CEH goes down and they have to give Jones the ball. 
My biggest issue with him, though, is that there are other guys that look at least as good, if not with higher ceilings right around them. And within a round of ADP before or after on underdog, there's Alexander Madison, who obviously crushes Ronald Jones in ceiling. Um, Rashad White, Naheem Hines, Daryl Henderson, Isaiah Spiller. Really, that's a range where I'm not looking to draft any of them all that much. Uh, probably most often Madison as like a fourth running back when I already have three guys that I know are going to lead their backfields. Yeah. I mean, Jones, I think if you draft him, you hope he becomes the lead back and you know, he, he could score 10 to 12 touchdowns if he gets, you know, goal line stuff in this offense. But again, I, I don't think he has much of a path to pass catching upside. So that, that hurts you know, even for someone like Alexander Madison, where we know if Dalvin cook goes down, you know, Madison's going to get all, all the backfield work. Wide receiver ADPs, Juju is at wide receiver 26 on underdog. MVS is wide receiver 47. Sky Moore, wide receiver 48. So those guys are basically tied there. I think that's fair. You can can take a little bit of each guy and see what happens, especially when we're looking at the tournaments that end with those, um, you know, one and done playoff weeks. Anybody could have that big game there. If we look at FFPC, though, Jared, MVS is about two rounds behind Sky Moore in drafting right now. (laughs) I think that's nuts. That's good. That would make me target Marquez Valdez Scantling over there. Yeah, I'm going to do. I think they should be going about in the same area like they are an underdog. And, you know, this is a case I'm trying not to let the uncertainty of the situation keep me off all these guys. Cause like, I, I think we have them all ranked, you know, a handful of spots lower than they are in ADP, but you know, I think they all have upside to even beat ADP and definitely beat where we have them ranked because, you know, it's, it's just because the offense, you know, one of these guys is probably going to emerge as the clear lead guy, even if they get, you know, 18 to 20 percent of the targets, um, you know, MVS and Sky Moore especially would crush their price tag. So I'm trying to trying to mix them in, even though our, you know, current baseline projections, you know, don't have them as values at ADP. I also wouldn't be surprised if none of these guys reaches 20 percent target share, though, and they're just, you know, mixing and matching through the season because there's certainly no it's it's very unlikely that there is any new Tyreek Hill in the offense. Oh, there's not. That's, 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 that's for sure. Travis Kelsey, we, we talked about, I mean, I like him better than Mark Andrews, who's only about a half round behind him in underdog ADP. Um, but then, as I mentioned, there's values throughout. And I guess the low costs of TJ Hawkinson and Dallas Goddard have been, you know, yeah. something that helps me not feel like I need to get Travis Kelsey to start a draft. And I think even once we get to lineup setting uh, drafts, those guys are, are also, solid starting points. I'm not saying don't draft Travis Kelsey, but that's why I don't feel like I have to make yeah. sure that I get a good bit of Travis Kelsey. Yeah, definitely not a guy to reach on and, you know, take him in the middle of the first round. But again, if, if he gets, if I'm picking 11th or 12th and he gets to those spots, I, I do like um, locking him up. And that, that again, you know, obviously allows you to just take one more tight end and feel good about that position. Mm-hmm. And you can wait a long time because there are plenty yes. of value tight ends late to be that second one. Yep. Las Vegas Raiders, who changed up coaches this offseason. Josh McDaniels gets his second shot leading a team after things did not go so well in Denver. 14 years as the offensive coordinator in the NFL, 13 of those with New England, one with the 2011 Rams. 12 of his 13 Patriot seasons had top eight scoring offenses. 11 of those 12 also had Tom Brady. So <laughs> tough to know exactly how much that played a role, but probably helped things out a little bit. His offense also finished sixth in points last year, though, and 11th in yards per play with Mac Jones at the helm. So, you know, give Josh McDaniels some credit for that. And obviously there's a reason that he was with um, Bill Belichick for so long and went back with Bill Belichick after things went poorly in Denver. 
Patriots have been run leaning in recent seasons, but that's that makes sense. Declining receivers and aging Tom Brady, some young running backs. So I don't think that it really portends what we should expect from Josh McDaniel's offense. Yeah, I look back at his history and I think he's a guy who's just kind of morphed his, you know, run pass split to the personnel. Um, you know, I even that, that might not even be fair because I look back to his his two seasons in, as Denver's head coach. His quarterbacks were Kyle Orton and Tim Tebow. Those teams ranked ninth and seventh in pass attempts. They were 15th and ninth in situation neutral pass rate. So he actually leaned towards the pass, you know, when he had full control of the team, uh, even with, with some shaky quarterback play. So, you know, looking at the Raiders personnel, I, I have the Raiders uh, projected to, you know, be one of the, one of the pass heavier offenses in the NFL this season. Yeah, they were sick. They were over 60% in pass rate last year, ninth in neutral situation pass rate. They should be positioned to stay in that range. I think projecting them, around 61 to 62% pass is a good idea, especially after the big trade that they made for Devontae Adams. It says that they want to throw the ball plenty. And you throw in that they're in the tough AFC West. That could mean lots of shootouts, lots of games where they're trailing. Overall, they have the third toughest schedule by Vegas projected win totals, according to the Sharp Football Strength of Schedule rankings. Yeah, going to be playing again a lot of shootouts in the AFC West, which is only going to boost that pass rate. Over at quarterback, where Derek Carr finished fifth in the league in passing yards last season, just 14th in fantasy points per game, though. He has never finished higher than 13th through his eight seasons, four finishes of 25th or worse in fantasy points per game. So he's been okay. I'm not sure that the ceiling goes a long way beyond okay. Yeah, I mean, he so he was, what did you say, quarterback 14 in points per game last year. But, you know, that was that was being on the wrong side of touchdown variance. 3.7% touchdown rate for Derek Carr last season. That was the third lowest mark of his eight-year career. Um, ranked 23rd among 33 qualifying quarterbacks. So you, you give him a more, uh, you know, league average touchdown rate, and, you know, he definitely pops into the top 12, might even be, you know, in, into the top 10. And then, and then, of course, he adds Devonta Adams uh, now to, you know, Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller so. I like Carr as like a, you know, low end quarterback one. I, I don't think he has, you know, like upside well, well past that though, just because, you know, he's not going to add much with his legs. I, I think he's kind of a, a fine target. You know, he's a guy I've been taking when I get Devonta Adams or Darren Waller as a, as a stack, um, but he's not a guy I'm like, you know, taking as a, as a one-off. There's um, the touchdown variance that you already mentioned. It's also possible that John Gruden was not great for his efficiency because his TD rates fell under John Gruden, his average depth of target dipped in the first two years that John Gruden was around. That rebounded the past two years. He tied for ninth league-wide in that category last season. So Derek Carr is a good enough downfield passer. Of course, we'll see what the new offense says because the, the previous offense was basically forcing him to throw downfield even after Henry Ruggs uh, disappeared from contention. So we'll see how that helps. I think I, what I could see for Derek Carr, especially now that he has Devontae Adams, is falling into that Matt Ryan um, kind of, I, I don't know, level of expectation, I guess, where it got to be good to buy Matt Ryan when he was outside <laughs> the top 12 and bad to buy Matt Ryan when he was inside the top 12. And I think Derek yeah. Carr at QB 14 is fine because he absolutely could finish QB 8. He's not going to finish QB 3 unless something magical happens. That's a perfect comparison, I, and I remember it too because with Ryan, it was always the touchdown rates. He'd be coming off a low touchdown rate season, and he'd be like quarterback twenty in ADP, and he'd be a good buy. Then he'd you know post a six percent touchdown rate the following year, and he'd be a top ten quarterback in ADP, and that'd be the year to get off him. So I think that's a perfect comparison. And again, Carr 
you know, coming off the low touchdown rate, I think he's, you know, he's not super cheap in drafts, but I do think, you know, he's, he's a pretty good bet to finish at least a couple spots higher than where he's being picked right now. And I think especially once we get past, I not past, but when we're doing lineup setting drafts yeah. as opposed to best ball, there's a better chance that he slides because there are fewer Devonte Adams owners trying to make sure that they stack the quarterback with them. Agreed. Running back, Josh Jacobs scored at RB14 average over his 14 healthy games last year in PPR, 17th in half PPR. And Jared, he got a boost in usage when Kenyon yeah. Drake was out late last season. Yeah, snap rate went up to 69%, up from 63% in his nine games with Kenyon Drake. Um, carries went up from uh, 13.1 per game to 18.6 per game. Targets actually dipped a little bit um, without Kenyon Drake, but you know the fantasy production – I don't know as a whole was better. And you know, Jacobs had, had a nice year. He, he's a, he's a nice player. Um, he, he has been, you know, he struggled with injuries to me. The, the big question is with the new coaching staff here. And so Kenny and Drake is back. The Raiders declined Jacobs fifth year option, which it wasn't a major surprise, but you know, at least they're you know kind of in wait and see mode with him. And then they draft Zemir White. They signed Brandon Bolden and Amir Abdullah. So it's like none of these guys on their own are like massive threats to Josh Jacobs. But I just wonder, you think about Josh McDaniel's time in New England, just you know, committee backfields more often than not. And I just wonder if we're going to see more of a committee attack in Vegas this year than you know, Jacobs has, has dealt with over the past couple of years. I think it's important to factor in reality on the stuff that you just talked about. And it would seem like Josh McDaniels is sending mixed messages when he comes out shortly after arriving saying, Josh Jacobs can play all three downs and then the team declines his fifth year option. But reality, he, it, the cap number for Josh Jacobs right now is just short of $4 million, the fifth year on his contract. And that's only there because he was a first round pick. And I would bet that if Josh McDaniels was there, he would not have been in favor of that. It, it this, you know, knowing what the NFL knows at this point. So that fifth year is about $8 million. So his cap number is doubling if they exercise that fifth year and keep him for next season. My guess would be that the decision is that's too much for a running back unless he's a star and Josh Jacobs is not a star. So I don't think that declining that option means that they dislike Josh Jacobs. And, you know, you mentioned the guys that are in the backfield with him now. There's nobody threatening. Now, the downside for Josh Jacobs is he's not a star. So he could just mix in. He could not dominate backfield work. And it is a new coaching staff. So we're waiting to see what happens. Ultimately for me, I'm not high on Josh Jacobs. I'm also not low on Josh Jacobs. Really, wherever he's going in ADP, I find it difficult to get excited or yeah. to get or to like pass on him completely. He's just a guy that if I don't have a bunch of running backs, I'd be like, okay, I'll take Josh Jacobs. And then if I do have several running backs, I'm like, okay, I don't mind passing on Josh Jacobs here. I don't think he's winning your league, but I don't think he's going to end exactly. up at the end of the year, making you feel like an idiot for drafting. him. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he's RB 22 right now. I think that, I think he's a good bet to score better than that. You know, at least points per game wise. He has dealt with some injury stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't think he's a good bet to finish as like a top 10 running back, which even in, in that range, even RB 20 range, I think there's, guys with higher ceilings than Josh Jacobs. So he's a guy that's probably worse in best ball. Like when we get to lineup setting leagues, you want that steady, you know, 15 point per game producer, or whatever he's going to be. I think, you know, Jacobs works better there than, than he does in these best ball tournaments. Yeah. We'll talk about some of the guys around him in ADP in a few minutes, but the rest of that backfield, Kenyon Drake, you know, he's still a name that we recognize, but he yeah. didn't get the ball a whole lot when Josh Jacobs was healthy last year. Yeah. And then 
it, the new coaching staff brought in Brandon Bolden, brought in Amir, uh, Amir Abdullah and signed Zamir, not signed, drafted Zamir White. They did sign him, but first they drafted him. So, you know, we don't really know yet what the team thinks of Kenyon Drake. They're just kind of stuck with him on a stupid contract from the last staff. <laughs> Yeah, Drake was good in the passing game last year, fourth in PFF receiving grade and sixth in yards per route run among 51 qualifying running backs. Um, we'll see if he hangs on to that role. Even if he does, as you alluded to, he, he wasn't very useful in fantasy. Just four carries and 2.9 targets in eight games alongside a healthy Josh Jacobs. So, and you uh, know, we'll, we'll see about Brandon Bolden. He spent you know almost his entire career with Josh McDaniels in New England, so there's definitely some you know um, rapport there. So, you know, I, I think he. It's crazy as it sounds because it's Brandon Bolden. He's old and he's been a special teamer, but you know, he, he might be a threat to take some of that pass catching work from Kenyon Drake. He's just a break glass in case of emergency option. Josh McDaniels knows that whatever he asks Brandon yeah. Bolden to, to do, he'll be all right. Like I, they would probably like Kenyon Drake to get more touches because there's more to him, but they know that Bolden's somebody that they can rely on. At the very least, he's going to help them on special teams. I, I'm not going to be interested in Kenyon Drake at all as we get to yeah. lineup studying because I think even if Josh Jacobs goes down, we're talking about a committee here. So I'm not interested in part of the handcuff solution for the Raiders. We'll talk about ADPs. I'm a little bit more interested there. Zamir White doesn't interest me really at all for redraft right now. And really for dynasty, which we talked about previously, I think he's just an overrated player right now based on what he was as a college recruit. And then where he landed in college was a five-star recruit at that level, ninth overall in his recruiting class. Then he tore one ACL at the end of his uh, last high school season. He tore the other ACL before the beginning of his first college season. He always shared work in college. 46.3% of the running back carries in 2020. You know, that's after he's had time to get fully back to health and become the top ball carrier in that Georgia backfield. That was down to 36.2% last year. So that's not a good trend when a guy is getting the ball less in his final college season versus the one before he did, he got 44.3% of RB rushing yards in 2020, 35 and a half percent last year. So not only is he getting less work than we would like, but he also wasn't overproducing that level of work. He's getting a little bit less in production versus his teammates than he was getting in carries, which is another red flag to me. Of course, the biggest red flag for Zamir White is that he catches absolutely no passes. It's like only he, he gets a few receptions a year by accident, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm, I'm probably a little higher than you on White, probably. but probably still below consensus. Um, you know, those were loaded Georgia backfields he was playing in, lots of NFL talent. I know a lot of the, or at least a few of the film guys I respect, like Zamir White, um, he had the nice speed score. I, I do think he's probably to me, he's probably most likely to lead this backfield in carries. If Jacobs misses time this season, that that's the upside. I agree. He's not going to do anything in the passing game. So even if Jacobs goes down, you're not going to get big fantasy ceilings out of Zemir White, but he is like a 17th or 18th round pick in underdogs. I don't think he's, he's bad. If you're looking for that, you know, fifth or sixth running back. Yeah. I'm not saying don't draft him. I'm just saying fine. If you want to draft him, it's not going to yeah. do a whole lot for you. Like if you're, if you draft him, you're like, I sweet. I got Deontay Foreman from last year. Maybe, except this is not a team that's going to be, you know, 50% pass run. So you've got Deontay Foreman on a team that's going to run the ball a whole lot less. So if that's that's what you're looking for, then you probably got him. But like, (laughs) you know, you talked about the speed score, but this guy was a power back in college. His size is almost identical to Tony Pollard. So it's a small power back who's has good speed and doesn't catch passes. It's just like a guy that's going to disappear. I think from relevance quickly in the NFL. 
Yeah, I, I want to be the Zamir White guy. I just got to balance that a little bit because I do think he's, he's he probably doesn't suck as much as you're making him out to, to suck. I know I'm overselling it too because, like you mentioned, where he's going, it's not like people are. are yeah. But it, I guess it's because every once in a while I see somebody like Zamir White is going to lead this Raiders team in carries. Like, yeah. why? What? What? There's nothing exciting other than he's got a cool name and he once was a top recruit. Uh, you know how it is nowadays. You can find someone who's way too high in any player in the NFL. Yep. Yep. I've actually, I've, I've found, I've made myself not respond to those things as much, but every once in a while, you know, something gets caught in there. So we'll move on to the pass catchers for now. And Devonte Adams is obviously the big addition here. Jared, only Cooper cup saw a higher target share than Devonte Adams last year among his healthy games. If we knock that down, if we knock his target share down from in the thirties to 25% of green Bay's stuff last year, it brings his numbers down some, but even at that rate, if we kept all of the efficiency stuff exactly the same and just knocked him down to 25% target share, he still would have finished wide receiver six in PPR as opposed to wide receiver two. Yeah. So, I mean, Devontae Adams to me is still one of the best two or three wide receivers in the NFL. Um, PFF had him second in the receiving grades last year. He finished third in yards per route run. Um, I, you know, and I, I agree that the target share is going to come down in Vegas from where it was in green Bay. Cause because of Darren Waller and because of Hunter Renfro, but I think the Raiders are going to pass more than the Packers have the past few seasons. The Packers, the past three years have finished 16th, 24th and 15th in pass attempts. You know, we talked about it with Hackett. They were pass leaning, but they were a slow paced kind of low volume offense. I think you're going to just get more, more plays and more pass attempts in Vegas. So that's going to, you know, help um, offset the loss in target share. And, and then you get to the, you know, the quarterback play, obviously a downgrade going from, from Aaron Rodgers to Derek Carr, but you know, Carr, Carr's a good NFL quarterback. He is, he was top seven in passing yards, completion rate yards per attempt last year. He was 12th in PFF passing grade. So it's a downgrade, but it's not like a massive downgrade. Um, of course, Adams and Carr have the, the chemistry from their two seasons together at Fresno state. So, I mean, Adams, Adams took a hit in our projections when he was traded from green Bay, Las Vegas, but you know, probably less of a hit than a lot of people would, would, would imagine. Do we have it built into the projections model? <laughs> how much, um, a, a, beer pong background, you know, tells us about how the, the quarterback and wide receiver work together going forward. Working on in the, in the lab, working on the, the beer. There's pong a lot model. of collaboration there, especially, you know, you throw in the trash talking, which is going to carry over to the NFL as well. I think there's a, there's a big potential edge there, but we'll see where it goes. Now, obviously the challenge for Devonte Adams, because you mentioned the quarterback is still pretty good, especially for exactly what uh, Devonte Adams needs him to be good at. Derek Carr is not an exciting fantasy quarterback, but he's one of the more accurate passers. So that's going to be good for Devonte Adams. The question here is, what the offense does for Devontae Adams. So if we look at McDaniels' three or three, 13 seasons with the Patriots, only his first two years had someone other than a slot receiver or tight end as the team's top producing receiver. It was Rache Caldwell, then it was Randy Moss those first two years. After that, it was Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, Rob Gronkowski, Jacoby Myers, all of the remaining seasons. Tom Brady also was not a short A dot passer over that stretch. So it's not like we got late career Ben Roethlisberger just targeting short. Those guys were focal points of the offense. Now, obviously the Raiders did not trade for Devontae Adams so that he could become like New England Brandon Lloyd. He's much closer to Randy Moss than he is to anything else that New England had at outside receiver over that span. So for me, the bigger question than how much it'll hurt Adams is how much it can help the other two. And a lot of that's going to be the passing volume thing. But I started out skeptical 
that Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller could get enough to help our fantasy teams at their prices. I've changed that. I think that there's probably going to be enough for all the, all three of these guys to be at least worth considering at their prices. Yeah. And Renfro especially is going, you know, like close to 30 spots below where he finished last year. And he's obviously going to take a hit in volume, probably a a pretty significant. I mean, even, even last year, Renfro really benefited from the games. Darren Waller missed Uh, Renfro averaged 8.3 targets in the games. Waller missed at, you know, versus 7.4. So he averaged a full target per game more in the games Waller missed. So if you have a healthy Waller, we have a healthy Devonta Adams. Uh, that's going to hurt, obviously. But, you know, there's there's clear chemistry between Renfro and Derek Carr, as you mentioned. I think the, the slot receiver stuff, to me, it's more of a point in favor of Hunter Renfro than it is against Devonta Adams. Like, I mean, Adams is, is just so good, and they invested so much in him that I, I'm not worried about his target share. But I do think um, this Josh McDaniels offense definitely looks friendly to slot guys like Renfro. Yeah. I mean, is he going to get the, he's not going to get the target share that Wes Welker or Julian Edelman were getting in new England, but could we get 25% for Adams and still get both uh, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller around 20%. Yeah. And I think those are fair levels for each of those guys at where they're going in price. For sure. I mean, even, even last year, Renfro, you know, he was only in air quotes 17th among wide receivers and targets, you know, so he finished quite a bit higher in fantasy points than he did in targets. The interesting thing, and I think where Renfro might be hurt the most, he was fourth last year among wide receivers and targets inside the 10-yard line. Um, that, that's where I think, you know, Devonta Adams might might uh, you know hurt that number quite a bit. Yes, uh, that's certainly not an area that I'm going to be looking at. So, I mean, I don't think Hunter Renfro is a guy that you have to take. I don't think he's a league-winning pick, but we, he, well, well let's, just, let's go ahead to the ADPs right now to yeah. talk about it more specifically. Devonta Adams is at wide receiver five on underdog. Hunter Renfro is at wide receiver 39. So again, not, I don't think he's winning leagues from there unless Adams goes down. Um, but he's definitely somebody that you mix in from wide receiver 39, as opposed to when he was going in the mid twenties earlier in draft season. Yeah. So we have, so I'm just looking at my projections. I I have run for for an 18% target share, which is, you know, down considerably from where he was last year, but he still comes in wide receiver 33 in our half PPR rankings, which is, you know, what underdog is. He's obviously a better pick in FFPC. I don't know if you have his FFPC ADP pulled up, but, um, you know, he's, he's wide receiver 32 in our, in our full PPR ranks. Yeah, I can get to the FFPC ADP because I did not look for that before the show. Um, But I would imagine that he's somewhere in that wide receiver three range. I think it's interesting to look at these two because you do get a different picture at times um, just because of the different drafters that we have going on here. He's at wide receiver 36 in FFPC. So, you know, a little bit higher. And I think that the numbers that you just mentioned, his ADP versus where we haven't projected, are fair. He's a mild value. He's not like a league-winning value at that price. Yeah, I'm with you. And just with the Raiders in general, I like them stacked together. You know, like if I if I take Devontae Adams, I like getting, you know, maybe a Hunter Renfro and a Derek Carr. Or if I, you know, take Renfro late, that's when I'll draft Derek Carr. I don't love any of these guys really as just one-off values, but I do think um, stacked together. Because again, I, I think they're all fairly priced. So it's a, it's a pretty nice stack to try to target. Mm-hmm. And I think since we're talking about the pass catchers, I think that Darren Waller is going to be more attractive for lineup setting than for best ball, because I don't think ceiling wise, he beats out the rest of the tight ends around him. And even later, but just week to week target reliability. I think he'll still be okay. He's a, a full round behind number three tight end Kyle Pitts. He's two rounds behind Mark Andrews. He's less than a round ahead of George Kittle. I think Darren Waller's in at least as good a spot for target expectation as Kittle. 
Uh, and then, you know, once you get past that, it's more guys that you're taking a chance on hoping you piece it together. And that can work when you look back on the numbers at the end of the season, but it's a whole lot harder to do in season. So I think when you're at a spot where you're looking for somebody, you can just plug into your lineup and just forget about them in a PPR league. Darren Waller is going to be um, attractive in that like mid to late uh, round five range. Yeah. I mean, same deal with Renfro. Like he's going to, Waller's going to take a volume hit with Adam's arrival. Um, but he, he's, he's just too good to, to, you know, take a significant hit in target share, I guess, you know, Waller's been top 10 among tight ends in yards per outrun and PFF receiving grade each of the last three seasons. He's been uh, top six and half PPR points per game each of the last three seasons. Even, you know, even last year, he got unlucky in the touchdown department, scored twice on just 55 catches, um, 3.6% touchdown rate. That's like, like, you know, less than half of the league average. So there's some room for growth in the scoring department for, for Waller, which should, should help offset some of the loss in volume. Mentioned Derek Carr's ADP, find there. You should check the yep. QB strength of schedule article on draftsharks.com because he's got some tricky spots potentially at the beginning and end of the schedule. We mentioned that it's a, a difficult schedule ahead. So um, it could be something to think about when you're deciding who to take at quarterback. Again, not something to uh, rely on too heavily, which I always make sure to mention in those articles. And then running back, to close things out for the Raiders, Josh Jacobs, RB22 on underdogs, Zamir White, RB61, Kenyon Drake, RB68, which means he's barely drafted in those drafts. I almost always have at least two running backs before I get to Josh Jacobs, which yeah. helps me not be super interested in any running back at that point. Um, more than around behind him sit CEH and Miles Sanders, which helps me be okay with not taking uh, Josh Jacobs right there, although I'm less interested right now in Miles Sanders than I was recently. And we'll talk about that when we get to the NFC East show. Then, though, if you look more than two rounds behind Josh Jacobs, we have Tony Pollard, Damian Harris, Kareem Hunt, um, both Seahawks are even further beyond than that. So, you know, it's just this range where Josh Jacobs is fine, but you can pass on him and be like, oh, there's still upside guys later on. Yeah, I mean, he's a he's a safer bet for volume than all those guys you mentioned. Um, I just think all those guys you mentioned have similar ceilings. Um, so that, that's where we're, if, we're, if we're talking best ball tournaments, that's why I haven't been drafting Jacobs as much. I don't know, he might he might be a, you know talking through this, he might be a blind spot for me where he's a guy I should be drafting more than I am. Just the name, I don't know, something about him just doesn't excite me. Um, but again, I, you, know, you look at the look at the numbers, he's probably a better a, a good bet to you know, beat that RB twenty two ADP at least in points per game. He's, he's going to be a better lineup setting Damian Harris. He, you're you're going to be able to count more on him for touches week to week. He's more involved in the passing game than Damian Harris. The problem is if you love Josh Jacobs, you're probably wrong. And if you hate Josh Jacobs, you're probably wrong. So he just settles into this range where he's fine and nobody likes fine players. Yeah, and again, I'll be keeping a close eye on that backfield in August to just see if, you know, Jacobs is going to come off the field more than he had been in this, in this McDaniels offense or stay on it more. We'll see about that. Sure. Let's move on now to the Los Angeles chargers, the last team in this division, Jared, uh, anything changing on the coaching front here? Yeah. I mean, just generally with this team, I think very few teams, maybe no teams have, you know, more continuity heading into 2022. So you have, so you have head coach Brandon Staley and offensive coordinator, Joe Lombardi back for their second season. You have Justin Herbert back, obviously, Six of last year's top seven target getters for the Chargers are back. Um, four or five starters on the offensive line are back. So it's basically the same offense we saw last year. And that's a good thing because the Chargers were, you know, everything we want out of a fantasy offense last season. They were first in pace. They were sixth in situation neutral pace. 
seventh in total plays, fourth in yards, fifth in points scored, and they were a uh, pass-heavy offense. They were third in pass rate, sixth in situation neutral pass rate. And again, you look at you know having all the same pieces back. I think you know they're pretty easy to project for 2022. I think they're they're going to be a pretty similar offense. And Brandon Staley seems like a bright guy, even among NFL coaches and a friend to analytics. So it's quite fair to expect things to be better in year two, more efficient in year two. Obviously, you know, we can't say for sure. It's it's also possible for things to slip a little bit, but there's reason for optimism here everywhere. And we'll get into the players, but I, I agree. I'm heading in excited about this team shortly after last year's Super Bowl. I put money down on this team to win the Super Bowl in 2022. So Me I mean- you know, we'll, we'll see when we get there, but there is a ton to like about the chargers for run pass split. I projected at 61 39. I think anything in that range is fair. They were 62 and a half percent pass last year. Let's see. I'm pulling up mine. I got them 61 and a half. Um, I, I think I just projected more, a bit more leading scripts for the chargers. So I took them down a tab, but you know, 61 and a half percent is still one of the past heavier offenses in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, this is one of those teams kind of like the bills where we could just see higher pass rates just because they're built that way. And that's where the talent is. And they're not forcing the run, even if they're ahead. Plus that AFC West thing, there are going to be some tough games involved. Quarterback, Justin Herbert, another key reason to be excited about this team. He has finished QB nine and QB three in fantasy so far. He has gone 5.2%, 5.7% in passing touchdown rate. He would be absolutely fine staying in that range going forward. That would not be disappointing, but Given how good he is as a player, how early he is in his career, uh, the wide receivers that he has. I mean, Jared, if he goes to six and a half percent touchdown right. rate or even higher, you know, we've seen uh, plenty of players get to seven, even nine percent in recent seasons. So you would never project something like that. But if we got a season like that from Justin Herbert, I mean, he could be that guy that hits 50 touchdowns in a year. For sure. I mean, as crazy as it sounds, because he's priced highly in draft, but I feel like his ceiling might be, you know, might extend higher beyond that than the floor goes lower. Because you know, I, I think all all these Chargers just seem safe to me because of the continuity. Um, you know, Herbert's a young guy, third season in the NFL, um, so I, I love him as as a target in fantasy drafts. Other note I had on Herbert, um, he was one of the highest weekly ceiling quarterbacks in the NFL last year. He had eight top five fantasy weeks. Tom Brady was the only quarterback that had more top five scoring weeks at the position. And, you know, you can see the similarities between them. Both young, both run a lot. So <laughs> yeah. that's what you want to target. Similar hair, similar hair. <laughs> <laughs> both both shy away from the public spotlight. Obviously, Tom Brady not putting himself out there very much. So, yeah, I mean, plenty to like about Justin Herbert. There is still upside to him. I think that the touchdown rate is the key area where I think that there's still potential upside. Again, maybe he just settles in 5.5% year to year going forward, and that would be fine. Um, but there is certainly the potential given what's around him and what he's done so far that he could give us one of those touchdown spike seasons. So moving on to the, some of the guys around him and starting at running back where we have one of the better receivers, maybe the best receiver at the position in the league, Austin Eckler, of course, big fantasy numbers last year, uh, driven both by touchdowns and by the receiving game tied for the lead and targets among running backs at 94, just 14th in carries 20 total touchdowns was huge Jared versus his 13.2 expected touchdowns. But even yeah. that was a really good number for the position, right? Right. He was uh, second in the NFL in, in total touchdowns, but he was also second in the NFL in expected touchdowns. Um, he was, so he, you know, he obviously played a big role in the passing game in the red zone. He led all running backs with 16 red zone targets. Eckler though was also sixth among running backs and carries inside the 10 and sixth among running backs and carries inside the five yard line. So 
Um, yeah, he overachieved in the TD department, but he was getting the usage down there, down near the goal line for a strong offense. So he's not going to score 20 touchdowns again. I mean, it's very unlikely, but I don't think he's going to, you know, drop back off, you know, in, into the single digits as long as he maintains a similar role to what he had last year. If you knocked him down from 20 touchdowns last year to those 13.2 expected, he loses 40 fantasy points, whether it's PPR or half PPR, but that number still would have ranked second among running backs. Now, you know, that's talking about total points and certainly points per game. It would be lower than that, but there's also room for him to get more touches this year. He's well set up to get those touchdown opportunities. He's going to have a ton of receptions. So if you want to find a reason that he's going to regress negatively and be less safe this year than 20 touchdowns would indicate last year, you can certainly find it. But Austin Eckler seems as well set up as basically anybody behind Christian McCaffrey and maybe Jonathan Taylor in round one. But, you know, even there, you're talking about high touchdown rate for Jonathan Taylor. You're talking about less of a receiving role. You're talking about a lot more carries. So you can look at any running back in round one and find reasons that we shouldn't trust him to do the same thing again. I was going to say, I mean, when you finished RB, RB2 on the season, you're going to have some, you know, outlier type stuff. And again, I don't think Eckler's touchdown total is too scary to me just because, again, the usage was there and this offense is, is you know, one that's going to be high scoring. Yeah. So I think we both believe that he still belongs in round one. And another reason that I'm not worried about him losing work or being all that unsafe is that the backfield's still not all that impressive around him. They drafted Isaiah Spiller, who certainly had fans heading into draft season, but I think that he's overrated. Maybe not to actually probably more than Zamir white because of where <laughs> he's getting drafted. So yeah. four-star recruit who produced right away at Texas A&M. That's what you like, but carry share dropped from 51.3% 2020 to 43.7% last year. That's not a good sign for somebody. I don't care who was joining him in the backfield because it's probably not somebody that's as good as Austin Eckler. Um, tested terribly ahead of the draft. 4.64 in the 40-yard dash at his pro day. 27th percentile speed score, 24th percentile burst score. Was a fourth-round pick. So, yeah, there are things to like about Isaiah Spiller's college production. But you have to remember that clearly the NFL was like, eh, Isaiah Spiller's okay does land in a great spot. Austin Eckler claimed just 48.7% of the team's carries last year, 12th among running backs in total opportunity share, 11th in red zone snap share, and they have not re-signed Justin Jackson to this point. So that stuff is available to Isaiah Spiller. Yeah, I think Spiller is going to be the number two back in, in L.A. this season, and it, it's not so much about him because I'm a dude. I think he's just a, a fine prospect. I mean, you know, Spiller was the ninth running back off the board in the NFL draft. So, you know, the NFL wasn't that high in him, obviously. Um, but, man, the, the competition, if it's Josh Kelly and Larry Roundtree, those, I'm pretty confident those guys are both bad and that Spiller is going to beat them out for the number two spot. Now, so in Eckler's 16 games last season, the other Chargers running backs only averaged 7.6 carries and 1.4 targets per game. So, you're, you know, you're, you're gonna, if you're drafting Spiller thinking he's going to be a standalone fantasy option, you're banking on him stealing quite a bit more work from Eckler than those other guys did. Um, now I, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I think Spiller is a handcuff. Um, and he's going in a range where that's, it's, he's okay to draft as a pure handcuff. Um, but I, I don't think he's going to have standalone fantasy value as long as Eckler's healthy. I agree. He might get enough work to be a bi-week starter, but he's not somebody that you're going to be able to start comfortably and get production. Unless for some reason they start taking Austin Eckler off the field more near the goal line, which doesn't right. seem like it should happen. So don't get excited about Isaiah Spiller. If you want to take him where he's going, that's fine. Um, 
pass catchers, Keenan Allen, top 18 across fantasy formats for five straight seasons. Maybe some signs of recent decline, though, huh, Jared? Yeah, I mean, he, he's he's declining. And, and he, you know, he turned 30 in April. So I think it's fair to say that he's, you know, we, we've seen the best from Keenan Allen. His yards per route run has, has gone down every season over the last five. But, you know, even last year, 1.78 yards per route run, it was still 28th best among 89 qualifying wide receivers. He was 23rd among those 89 in PFF receiving grades. So even, even past peak, Keenan Allen is still a good wide receiver. His target share, I think, is relatively safe here. Again, it's still an offense we want to bet on. So, you know, I think he's safe. I think, and he's a safe fantasy pick. I don't think he's going to be, a, you know, a huge profit at his cost, but I don't think he's going to hurt you either. Yeah, the argument against Keenan Allen for best ball is that he's safe. He doesn't have the ceiling of other guys in that range. He reached 20 PPR points three times last season, four games of top five level scoring throughout the year. By comparison, Mike Williams had six games at that level, including two games over 30 points. Keenan Allen never got above 22.4 in PPR. So if we're looking at lineup setting and you want a guy that you can roll out and get 16 to 20 points every single week, that's Keenan Allen. And he's certainly a good option where he's going. If we're looking for ultimate upside to beat, you know, hundreds of other teams, Keenan Allen's going to be a guy that kind of gets lost in the mix. Yeah. And I guess getting to Mike Williams now, like I think he, as you alluded to, has more weekly upside, just the type of player he is, how the Chargers use him. I'm also excited about his season long upside. Like I, I just think there's a chance that this is the year that Mike Williams just kind of passes up Keenan Allen as the Chargers lead guy. You know, we talked about Allen still a good receiver, but on the decline, Mike Williams might still be on the ascent. I mean, he, he's coming off his best, season in terms of fantasy points, um, his best season in terms of yards per route run. Mike Williams beat Keenan Allen in yards per route run and PFF receiving grade last year. Now, w- Williams, he got off to a really hot start to the season through the first five games. Um, he was a top three fantasy wide receiver. He was a top two fantasy wide receiver over the first six weeks of the season, just 28th from week eight on. And you look at the numbers, like his targets per game shrunk, his target share shrunk, Um so I, I guess the question is, you know, whether we expect him to be closer to that that first, you know, third of the season or the second third of the season. I, I do think it's interesting, and I don't know if it played a, a factor, but Williams hurt his knee in that week five game. He didn't miss any games, but he did only play 36% of the snaps in week six. And I think there's a chance it affected him beyond that. So that might be that might, you know, at least partly explain why his production tailed off after those first five games of the season. I would like to take a second and applaud Jared at his evolution because Mike Williams was somebody that he did not like at all as a prospect coming into the NFL. Um, And so I like that you've gotten to the point where you're excited about Mike Williams. And I think, you know, it's fair to have the question of what do we expect? If he had did what he did last season, gotten used the way he did last season, and then the Chargers let him hit the open market, then I'd be like, maybe it's more like the later stuff. But the Chargers are like, we're going to pay him what it takes to bring him back because we have big plans for Mike Williams. I'm going to go ahead and bet on that. I'll take the spike weeks. Obviously, spike weeks are easier to love in best ball, but his production is the kind that you go ahead and chase in lineup setting formats as well. I don't think you overrate that volatility just because you have to decide and you're going to get some bad weeks in your lineup. Now, the problem is price, and both of these guys are pretty expensive at this point. So, I, you know, I could save it, but let's go ahead and jump into the ADP for both of them because Keenan Allen is at wide receiver 12 on underdog. Mike Williams is at wide receiver 13. Justin Herbert is quarterback two or three, depending on where you look, basically tied 
with Mahomes. All of that makes for a very expensive best ball stack. Yeah, you're not getting any discounts on these Chargers. Um, but, but again, I also don't want to not have them because I do think they're safe. They're safe bets. And like, it's tough to say there's upside well beyond where these guys are priced. But like, I, I do think they could all, you know, beat these price tags, especially, you know, Mike Williams, wide receiver 13. I think, you know, he could pop into the top 10 wide receivers this season. So the guys I'm trying to get pieces of, I agree. It's a, you need to spend a lot of draft capital to stack them. So I don't, I haven't gotten many, you know, Herbert Williams or Herbert Allen stacks yet, but I, you know, I'm, I'm good with these guys as one-offs. You can, you can stack, you can, you know, do a, a, a Raiders stack and then have a piece of a charger. You know, they're playing twice this season. You can you know, kind of stack up these AFC West teams. That's kind of the, the, I think the better way to use these chargers. If you're doing these underdog tournament drafts, these FFPC best ball tournament drafts. And you could also take just one of the pieces and add them to Rams players because they play week 17. Yes. So the, it's yes. cheaper. Like you can start with Cooper cup, then you can get a running back at the end of round two. Then you can get either of the chargers wide receivers around the turn in the third, you can wait and get Matthew Stafford, or you can take Justin Herbert if he gets to you at a sensible spot. So mm -hmm. I would get creative there. I think once we look more to lineup setting, it's fine to take either of these wide receivers without worrying about the quarterback. But I, I agree. I mean, you're not going to find too many guys that are going 12th or 13th at wide receiver. And you say, well, that's a screaming value. He's going to sure. way outperform that. Yeah. I think both of these guys are fair in that range. I would say when we're two lineup setting and not trying to win a big tournament, Keenan Allen between them makes more sense. Cause it's going to be a lot easier for him to ultimately perform at that level. And also to steadily perform at that level. We'll see where Mike Williams goes from here. Um, but I think, you know, in a, in a typical 12 team fantasy league, Keenan Allen is my favorite in PPR between those two. Yeah, and of course, scoring system I think matters a lot for these wide receivers. You know, the more the more points you get for receptions, the the, the better Keenan Allen is, and you know, the opposite direction. And you know, if you're in a non PPR league, if those still exist, um, I think you know Mike Williams is the better bet. So rounding out the ADP numbers, we talked about Justin Herbert. Uh, you know, he's fine where he is. You don't want to be totally out on him, but you can't be chasing somebody who's QB two. Austin Eckler is RB three mid round one. That's sensible. He's also in a range where things get shuffled a lot. Najee Harris will climb ahead of him. Derrick Henry will go ahead of him. So anytime that Austin Eckler slides into the back half around one, I think he even gets more attractive. For sure. I mean, he, he he's my RB3. Um, I just think the safety and what we know he's going to do in the passing game, you know, maybe he loses a few carries to Isaiah Spiller or whatever, but we know he's going to you know do a ton in the passing game for one of the, you know, three or four best offenses in the NFL. So he's, he's my RB three. Um, you know, once the top two RBs and Cooper cup, Justin Jefferson, Jamar chase is off the board. You know, I'm kind of looking to Austin Eckler. Isaiah Spiller RB 45. I mean, that's a fine level. It's not going to yeah. kill you if he doesn't do anything from RB 45. He's also not somebody that I'm, <laughs> making sure to take he's more like okay i need a running back i haven't taken isaiah spiller yet i'll take him yeah so brian robinson is going 50 picks after isaiah spiller what what does spiller have over robinson i have no idea either uh, and even closer like tyler algier is behind isaiah spiller and i'm not saying he's an exciting player but he at least has a path to potentially even lead the Falcons in carries without Cordell Patterson getting hurt, depending on how the Falcons want to use Patterson this year. Yeah. I think uh, Khalil Herbert's going behind Spiller. He's in a similar spot. Ty Davis price, I think is going behind Spiller. He's in a similar spot. So yeah, there's, I haven't, I haven't drafted Isaiah Spiller in, in underdog yet. 
At wide receiver, we mentioned Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Joshua Palmer is at wide receiver 66. And Jared, for, for me, he would, was early on somebody that I would just pass over. It sounds like he is working as the primary number three wide receiver for them now, though. So yeah. I, I think that that's a fair price for him. There's some upside, certainly not a guy that excites me either. Yeah, and Palmer passed Jalen Guyton in, in snaps and, and pass routes late last season. Palmer beat Guyton in PFF receiving grade and yards per out run last season. So I think we should expect him to be the number three. Now, so Palmer and Guyton last year combined for 97 targets. Palmer's not going to get all of that. Even if even if he gets 80% of that, that's like 80 targets, which, you know, that would have ranked just inside the top 50 among wide receivers. So, you know, Paul. To me, Palmer's going to need an injury to Keenan Allen or Mike Williams to be someone you can use in lineup setting leagues. In best ball, I, I like him at his ADP because I do think he's going to you know give you some spike weeks just being on the field for such a such a strong offense. Yeah, for me, I think even in that case, he's only really a, a consideration for a Herbert or Matthew Stafford um, best ball tourney lineup. You know, he's, he's fine, but I don't think that the upside is all yeah. that exciting. I think Gerald Everett is far more interesting relatively from an upside standpoint, he's going at tight end 18, exactly where Jared cook finished last year yeah. in both total PPR and half PPR points. Uh, Gerald Everett is at least a younger version of Jared cook in terms of the ability, like what he brings on offense. The chargers clearly believe that he's an upgrade over Jared cook because they let cook walk and they gave Everett a two year contract versus cooks one year last year. I- I'm not going to overstate, how good Gerald Everett is as a player or a fantasy producer, because mm-hmm. he hasn't done anything special to this point, but there's really no risk to taking the tight end 18 overall in this yeah. offense that late in a draft and just taking what it gives you. Yeah. I think it's pretty close to his floor. You know, as long as he stays healthy, you, you mentioned uh, Jared cook 18th in PPR points last year, he was 17th in expected PPR points. So, you know, Everett's kind of priced at where cook produced and was usage wise last year that, you know, the question is how much better Everett is than Jared Cook. He's definitely younger, uh, you know, he's seven years younger, but you know, Jared Cook last year, 25th among 35 tight ends in PFF receiving grades. Uh, Gerald Everett was 23rd. So you know, they, they were pretty similar there. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't expect like a huge breakout season from Everett. I just think there's, you know, too much target competition for him to, you know, really see massive volume. But again, I think tight end 18, he's, he's not going to disappoint you there and there's always a chance just being in this offense that he scores eight touchdowns and you know if he does that he's probably a top 12 tight end yeah i'm not going out of my way to get gerald everett um, but he's definitely he's somebody that i'm more so making a point of having a decent amount of than i would with josh palmer because i think that he could easily you know do something like like he could he could have dawson knox's season from last year that's not something you project but if we look back at the end of the year and see that Gerald Everett had Dawson Knox's season, it wouldn't be like, well, where did that come from? It'd be like, because he's uh, pretty good and he's with the Chargers who went crazy this season. Yeah, I mean, tight end production just plays such a big role in you know, where these tight ends finish fantasy points-wise for the season. So I, I think as a, just as a general rule, um, targeting tight ends on good offenses is, is a good idea. And again, Everett's going so late, you know, he's, he's – what 14th round in underdog draft. So like he's, he's the easy charger to get. If you, you know, draft Herbert, even after Williams and, and Allen are off the board, you can, you know, just wait and, and grab Everett as the stack partner. Or even if you just take no tight ends, then you start with Everett at tight end 18 and grab three or four guys, even from that level down and you'll get yeah. um, some good weeks. Yep. 
That'll do it for this episode of the podcast. You can find our NFC West preview on DraftSharks.com now, as well as on our YouTube channel, DraftSharks Fantasy, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear from us, please like, subscribe, even give us a review, help some other folks, other fantasy players like you find us. You don't have to keep us a secret. We'll be ramping up this series next week with two shows a week going forward. And Jared, we've also got some beat writers coming onto the show pretty soon, right? Yes. Um, we have Cameron DeSilver with the Rams and Mike Kliss of the Broncos coming on next week. We're clo- I think we're going to have close to all 32 teams from, from all 32 teams coming on throughout that. will you know, run into August. So that'll, that'll be fun. Just, you know, picking those guys brains, what they're seeing with these teams. Um, I, I think we'll learn a lot. Yeah. Cause uh, you know, we spend most of our time just saying, this is what I think will happen, but it's nice to add in that bit of somebody who watches the team, who talks to the team, who talks to the coaches, who has some insight can tell us, where we're, we might be way off and where we might have insight and maybe something we don't already know. For sure. So we'll be looking forward to those guys. Check out those shows. For Jared Small and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Shafson. Thanks so much for swimming with us.